morning to you. How are we doing today? Good. All right. All right. Week in, week out. You're getting a little better. Uh, what great worship though, right? What great reminder. Our living hope who lives, he's alive today and he's well. And that makes a difference for our lives, doesn't it? Let me try that again. Jesus is alive and well. And that makes a big difference for us day to day, doesn't it? Amen. There we go. There we go. All right, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yes, we are still in Colossians, sort of. Uh, Where we're at in the text is these verses. Let me just read those real quick, and I'll tell you why we're in Deuteronomy. uh, You don't need to turn to Colossians. I'll just read it for you. Colossians 3, verse 20 and 21 says this. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Well, this is in the midst of a paragraph of verses. Last couple weeks we talked about marriage. Next week we're going to talk about the workplace. But I wanted to take some time, and I had a hard time just looking at those two verses and like how am I going to preach for 40 minutes through two verses. And so that's why we're doing Deuteronomy 6. But I didn't want to just jump by and make it one point in a sermon where we kind of slightly highlight parenting because I think parenting is a big deal. Anybody else agree with that? Parenting matters. And uh, Mark, that was timely about saying if you're discouraged and need some help. Because I don't know about you, but parenting can be a very discouraging thing. And some of you may be discouraged because you long to be a parent. And you, you just haven't been able to. Maybe some of you are longing to be a parent. You're not even married yet, but you're longing to have that. Maybe some of you are parents and your kids are all grown up and you failed miserably. Regardless of where we're at, we should all hold the value that parenting is. It matters. It matters how we parent. It matters whether you're a parent or not because... Parents need your prayers for those of you who don't have kids. It is a daunting, impossible task. You know, I remember reading through the Bible uh, in a year, several years ago, and there was one verse that stuck out to me that really frightened me and sobered me in a way that I had not been sobered uh, before. Uh, Let me just read this verse to you because I think this verse speaks to parenting. It speaks to the failure that can happen in parenting. And that verse is this. You don't turn there. Just write it down, though. J- Judges 2, verse 10. Judges 2, verse 10 says this. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So this is speaking of the people, the Israelites, God's chosen people. All that generation were gathered to their fathers. And then this, this section haunts me. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord Or the work that he had done for Israel. Is that not startling? To think of all that the Israelites had had experienced up to this point. They saw God provide in amazing ways. Wandering in the desert. Actually escaping Egypt in the first place. And God delivering them in fantastic ways. Where they cross the Red Sea on dry ground and they get to the other side. And as soon as the last Israelite gets to the other side, the Egyptian army was entirely in the Red Sea. God closes the Red Sea, completely destroys the Egyptian army. 
And then God provided miraculously in the wilderness for them for 40 years. And yet, somehow, a generation grew up and did not know the Lord. That's tragic, isn't it? And yet, even we can find ourselves in a place where we could get to the point where we're raised in the church, we brought our kids to the church, but somehow it didn't translate over to our kids because of the way that we've parented. And so Deuteronomy 6 actually takes place before this verse in Judges. So what we're about to read, the people did not take to heart. My prayer for you, my prayer for us is that we would look seriously into Deuteronomy and that we would be challenged and that we would seek the Lord. What do we need to do? How do we need to make sure that we raise our children up in the admonition of the Lord? And so follow along with me. We're going to jump into exalting Christ in parenting starting in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, as we jump into this daunting task of parenting, Let me pray for us. Father, one name is truly higher. One name is stronger than any grave, any throne. Christ exalted over all. Father, you are worthy of all praise. We praise Jesus for his sacrifice on our behalf, that we might be made right, Lord. And I pray as we look at your word in Deuteronomy here, as we discuss parenting, I pray, Lord, that you would bring conviction where we need to have conviction, that you would bring encouragement, Lord, that you would give others who maybe aren't in this sphere of parenting a sense of prayerfulness for the parents who are there, preparedness, Lord, for those who maybe are stepping into parenting soon. Lord, would you lead and guide and direct this time. Father, we want you to take center stage. We want you to be at the forefront. So, Lord, be with the words that I speak. Lord, may they be glorifying and edifying for the body this morning. Thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So so let me just say 
that I am far from a perfect dad. You can ask my kids and they will very quickly agree to that. And so I don't come here with some kind of authority uh, in the sense that I've got this mastered. I come humbly. I come crushed. And I come with the understanding that, listen, we're not all going to get this right, are we? But God has given us some things that we can work on. So I want to talk about three things that we need in our life in order to be Christ-exalted parents. So the first thing is this. First thing we need to do is fear the Lord. When it comes to being godly parents, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Look again at verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Fear the Lord. Now fear is one of those topics, especially when it comes to God, that we can, we can confuse and we can kind of get mixed up. You know, what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, certainly, there are people who are literally afraid of God. They're afraid that if they get out of line in any form or fashion, that he's got, you know, like a whack-a-mole. You ever play that whack-a-mole game? Like, up, send, pop, send, pop. You know, like, we can approach God as if he is there to whack us on the head every time we get out of line. Like, that's, that's what some people, when they think fear the Lord, they think God could crush me at any moment, and if I screw it up, I'm gone. But then there are others who approach God on, the, on the, like the, the far other side of that. Where they're like, well, man, I've been saved by grace alone. God's rescued me from my sin. And therefore, I can live however I want to. Because God loves me and he is going to forgive me of my sin. And so I'm just going to live however I want to without any cares in the world. Now, wouldn't you say both of those are extreme, right? On the one hand... Fear of the Lord is not this sense of God's going to crush us every time we screw up. But it's also we don't go to the other side and just live however we want to and sin however we want to, just believing that God is going to forgive us for that. So what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord? None of those is right. Luther actually compared a healthy fear and a negative fear. So the negative fear that he, he kind of talked about is like, it's like a fear a prisoner has towards its torturer, right? A, a prisoner who is about to be facing execution for what he's done, that is a different kind of fear. But that's not the fear that we're talking about for believers in Jesus Christ. We don't, we're not fearing a torturer. We're not fearing God to come and torture us for when we mess up. Like we can get so tripped up thinking, uh, and maybe you've been there like, oh, I screwed up big time now. Oh, I got a little cough. Oh, man, I got cancer for sure. I should not have said that swear word while driving. You know, we can get carried away like that. Or I screwed up and I did this thing and now I'm going to find myself falling into poverty. Like we can get overboard. That is a, that's not the fear of the Lord that we're talking about. Rather, the other fear that Luther talked about is like a, a fear that a son has towards his loving parents. Like a, a reverence, a desire to want to be respectful to his parents, wants to please them, wants to do what's right because he loves his parents. And so what we're talking about when it comes to fearing the Lord, it means to have a sense of deep awe and respect for God. 
we are humbled when we think about the power of God. Matthew 10, 28 says this. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, you may look at that and think, well, well isn't that the kind of facing the torch, like the, the fear a prisoner has towards those who are going to torture him? Well, no, it's not the same thing. We should approach God with the understanding that he has the power to cast the sinner into hell. That should leave us humble. I don't go before God with this, ha, Jesus, my homeboy. Like, I can do whatever I want to because he's my homeboy. No, like, he is to be respected. We are to come before him in awe and reverence. Not in a, I'm afraid, like he's going to torture me, but rather in, wow, you are a powerful God. I deserve hell. I deserve wrath. And yet, because of the blood of Jesus, I find myself forgiven. There's a difference of approaching him humbly so, understanding that I deserve hell, but rather instead of giving me hell, he's given me Jesus. We can come before him and fear him. Certainly, there's a fear for those who do not repent, who do not bow the knee. There is an understanding that that person will face the wrath of God. But we're speaking of fearing the Lord in the eyes of a believer. So what exactly does it mean? And how, how do we fear the Lord? Okay, it's an awe and a reverence. What, what does that kind of look like? Well, we see that right here in verse 2. Look there again. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. How do we fear the Lord? We fear the Lord by keeping his commands. When you respect your parents, when you have loving parents who have raised you well, you want to please them. You want to do what they've asked you to do. Not because you're trying to earn anything from them, but because they love you so much, that's how you want to live for them. And so we, how do we fear the Lord? We fear the Lord by understanding God is our authority. He's the one who has written the scriptures. We look at God's word not as good advice. We look at it as absolute truth. Jesus is sovereign over everything. And for those who fear the Lord, we approach God's word with awe and reverence and understand that when we read these, we are reading the very words that God intended to be written. We fear the Lord by being in the word. Now, you might be wondering, I thought this was supposed to be about parenting. This is about me. What does this have to do about parenting? What does my fearing the Lord have to do with anything? Well, thank you for asking. If we are going to call our kids to obedience, we must first model our obedience to the Lord. We can't expect our kids to obey us when they don't see us following any kind of authority. You see, we're a mini picture of what authority looks like with our kids. They have a chance to see, are they going to have a fearful torturer? <laughs> Which we all play that role sometimes. If you're a parent, you've played it. Or are we going to be that loving father who wants what's best for his kids and he knows what's best is that he comes under the authority of his parents. 
are we living a lifestyle of obedience to the Lord in the way that we live? That means we are making choices based on what God's word says. That we are choosing not to participate in things because we believe it goes against the ways of the Lord. We are following in obedience. If, if we want to see kids who fear the Lord, it starts with us fearing the Lord. It starts with us coming under the authority of what God's word says. That's why it's so good when our kids see us reading the word. And we have times in the morning where if they get up too early, we're like, okay, why don't you find a book? Why don't you play with a toy? Mom and dad need to spend time with Jesus. We need to get in our word. It's good for them to see us in the word. We are practicing coming under the authority of God. That's what it means to fear the Lord. But if all we do is hang our hats on our obedience, if all we do is have this approach of fear of I'm going to obey everything that God says, then we may find ourselves becoming no greater than the Pharisees of whom Jesus condemned over and over again. It must not stop there. It could lead us down to a path of legalism where we believe that God can be manipulated based on our performance. So not only do we fear the Lord, here's the second thing. We must love the Lord. To exalt Christ in parenting, we not only fear the Lord, we love the Lord. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. To live a life of morality only is to be nothing more than a legalist, a Pharisee that Jesus condemned over and over in the New Testament. You see, the Pharisees, they look the part. They thrived in obeying the Lord. They tithed their offerings. They went to church. They took the Sabbath and treated it the way it was supposed to be treated. They restrained themselves from many bad things. On paper, they had it all together. But you see, their hearts were far from God. There was no genuine love for him. They didn't obey the law. They didn't fear God because they loved him. They did it in order to manipulate him. If they obeyed, then God owed them a good life. And if we obey God in order to earn something, is that really loving him? If we are doing this thing in order for God to make our life better, are we truly loving him? Think about it this way. Let's say I come home from work tomorrow. I grab some flowers on the way. I come home and tell Nikki, I want you to get your best dress on. Oh, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. I got a sitter coming for the kids. We're going to have a good night out. And she's like, well, why? Why are you doing this? Well, I just feel obligated. I mean, you're my wife, and that's just what husbands are supposed to do. Ladies, if your husband does that, are you going to feel so loved? <laughs> so cherished? Oh, thank you for feeling obligated to take me out on a date and for giving me these flowers. Now, flip the coin. Same thing, grab some flowers, get your best dress on. I got a sitter, we're going out on a date. Why are you doing this? Because I love you. Being with you is the greatest. I feel so alive when I'm with you. There's nothing greater. What's better? And yet, how often do we treat God like the first thing? 
the first way of, well, I'm obligated. I should read the Bible. I should go to church. I should do this. I should do that. Out of obligation. And then what happens for that person is that when things go wrong, when things go sideways in life, all of a sudden we're like, God, where were you? Didn't you see my performance? Didn't you see how awesome I was? Didn't you see I read the Bible this week? Didn't you see I went to church? I go to church three times a week. I even prayed for my friend during the week as well. I went to small group. I mean, what more do you want from me? That's not a love for God. That's, that's manipulation. That's using God to get what you want rather than coming and saying, God, I love you and the way you've done for me. And I know what you've given me is the best thing for me. I fear you. I love you. I'm in all of you. I respect you. I see your word. I see it's there for me to help me, to protect me, not to restrain me. We, can't, we cannot manipulate God. We must come to a place where we realize he's given us his word, his commandments, not to restrain us, but protect us. Just like a loving parent does for his kids, telling him not to run out in the road. It's not because he's trying to be mean. He's trying to protect his kids. It, notice it says here, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And what I think about there when I read that, what it's trying to say is just love God with everything in you. Love him with your affections. I think sometimes Christians get mixed up. I see some people who really love the truth. They really love the fear of the Lord part. And they want to drive the Bible deep down into your heads and they will beat you at all costs. And often in those kind of people there's this lack of joy. There's no affections. Now, I've seen the reverse, too. I've seen the other side of that coin where people are so caught up in affections and they're seeking for this mystical experience with the Lord. We saw that in Colossians, right? They're saying these other ways of meeting with the Lord. We can become so mystical that we're just going after a feeling or emotion that we neglect the truth. But we say we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's both. And typically we fall off on one side or the other. But we worship the Lord with our affections. We worship the Lord with truth. We don't worship the Lord with affections that aren't based on truth. Like for me, I'm, I'm an emotional person. I'm a passionate person. I live my life on my sleeve. I can never hide if I'm struggling with my wife. She always knows. Even if I say I'm fine, it's usually, you know, she knows. Like I, that's just the way I live. So I, I can naturally be emotional. And I have to be careful though, but... But if you see me up here in tears, it's not because I'm emotional, because the music is just right and the lights are just right. It's because I'm affected by the words that we're singing. The truth that comes out of it, the, the scriptures that I see in the words that we are singing, I'm moved emotionally by the truth. We should be moved emotionally. We should be moved mentally. Like we should be filling our minds with scripture. What, what fills your mind during the week? Netflix, music, or is God's word your primary source of filling your minds with truth? We saw in Colossians 3 at the beginning, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Love God with all of your mind, with all of your thinking. 
It also says love God with all of your strength. As you look at your life, as you look at what you spend your time on, what you spend your treasures on, what you spend your talents on, are you living in such a way where you are living with your strength in order to love God? You are using your energy to make much of Him. Or are you building your own kingdom? Does your life show that you love the Lord? If so, can you verbalize it? How does your life show that you love God? What would those around you say you love the most? Your kids, your spouse if you're married, friends if you're not married, those close to you. What would they say your passions are? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? So we exalt Christ in parenting by fearing the Lord, by loving the Lord. Again, what does this have to do with parenting? Like, it makes all the difference in the world to see that our words line up with our actions. We can speak all day long about God's word to our kids, but is it seen in the way that we live? And ultimately, what is the goal of parenting? This is the third thing, and we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing on this last truth. The third thing is this, proclaim the Lord. How do we exalt Christ in parenting? By proclaiming the Lord. So we get the fear of the Lord in right perspective for us, that we love his word, we love God, we're loving the Lord, we get those things in, now it's time to take that out. We get the gospel right, and then we get the gospel out. We proclaim the Lord. Look what it says here. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's he saying here? Man, get the word of God out everywhere. Put it before yourself. Proclaim the Lord. Proclaim the goodness of God. Do whatever you have to. If you've got to write it on your wrist, on your doorpost, write it on your mirror. Put it in places to where it's always in front of you. Proclaim the Lord. And so we're going to talk about some practical ways here of how we proclaim the Lord. So first of all, just simply that. Proclaim the Lord with your words. How do we proclaim the Lord? By proclaiming Christ with our words. Using our lips what God has given us to speak of the good news of Jesus. As we're sitting at home, as we're driving in the car, as we're walking along somewhere, as we're laying down, let Jesus be a part of your regular rhythm of life. Not just something that fits in during a prayer time and a meal and at bedtime at night. Let it be a part of your every day. We can't serve God and other things. We can't let God be a part of our life. And yet that's where we, so many Christians I see content to let Jesus be a part of their life. When Jesus is a part of the life, he's got really no part at all. He needs to be everything, right? Christ exalted over all things. That in everything, Christ might be preeminent is what we've seen here in Colossians. Does he consume everything? 
And so this involves different avenues. I like to say formal and informal times. Formal and informal times of proclaiming Christ through our words. And so at our house, our formal times, uh, we call soul food. That's just what we call it. Hey, we're going to have some soul food. We gather around as a family. It's formal. We have some kind of thing that's somewhat structured. Uh, and, and that's a great way that we're saying, hey, we are prioritizing God's word here. We're going to get together for the purpose of doing this. Now, let me just say right up front, if you have young kids, this does not always go well. Why do you think that's true? Because they're kids? Sure. But our, our, our battle is not against what? Flesh and blood. We have an enemy who wants to destroy the family. And so he's using the natural craziness of little kids <laughs> to discourage you. And I guarantee the first, it's like, it's like the first time you decide to get up in the morning. I'm going to get up early and spend time with the Lord. What happens all night long? Kid after kid after kid comes in the room. It never fails. I promise. It never fails for me. But you just keep going. You keep going. So here's a little thing that we do. Uh, we've, we've done catechisms, if, if you know catechisms. So if you were to ask our kids this question, I should put you guys to the test. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to put you guys to the test. I did not tell them I was going to do this, but you know what? I feel the spirit moving. And so I'm going to do this. So, Isaac and Reese, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own but belong to God. So catechism is just like asking a question and there's like a response that happens. Now, does it mean that if they get it right that their hearts are radically changed? <laughs> no. But you know what? It is planting a seed. And it is showing our kids that we value what God's word said. What's our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. We have a creator. Therefore, we are under the authority of our creator. We don't get to decide what we want to do with our lives. God has laid out the path for us that we would pursue him. You could do this in different ways. I had, I had one time where I just, look, some of you guys, but parents, I think dads especially should be leading this. But some of my leading has been, Nikki, what's your favorite verse? What's your favorite passage of scripture? And so this is what we did recently. We opened up Psalm 34, I think it was. Or, and we just kind of talked through that. What, what comes to your mind? And you'll be surprised at what your kids do. Don't do all the talking. Let them talk back. Like, your kids will amaze you. I'm always reminded, like, Ben, you don't give your kids enough credit. You don't give the Holy Spirit enough credit that they work in your kid's life. Find some times for formal things. But... <laughs> is that a parenting thing there? We can, we can listen in here. <laughs> so, now that I've completely lost track of where I'm at here. Informal. So, be careful, though. If all you do is formal training on the Lord, I would be very careful because my tendency would be thinking, are, are you a legalist? That you're only doing it because you're supposed to. You know, I'll just be honest with you. The formal part, we don't, we don't do every week. Like, I've, could, I have found myself so discouraged at times because I'm not leading in that. And praise the Lord I married the wife I have because I, I like to beat myself up all the time. I don't know if anybody else is like that. And Nikki's like, honey, don't, you don't need to do that. Like, yes, the formal is good. But how many informal opportunities are we bringing the Lord into you know, like there's a struggle at school and there's a struggle with relationships and there's bump, you know, 
we're colliding with other kids and what they think. And we use those opportunities to point them back to the Lord. That, like, that's a gift. Like, that's, that is almost far greater than the formal. And here's the reason why I say that. Because if you are continually looking for opportunities to point your kids to Jesus through certain situations, that means it's just a normal part of your life. Like, it means everything to you, right? Like, I love the Atlanta Braves. I, I enjoy Notre Dame football. You don't have to like, okay, fine, I'll talk about Notre Dame football. Let's sit down formally and let's talk about Notre Dame football. Or let's sit down. What, you, you find somebody who likes the team that you like. What do you do? You just talk about it, right? It comes, it flows naturally. And so if all you have is the formal, I would just say, like, is Jesus, and I, this is not a judgmental statement. This is just encouraging you to look, take a hard look. Is Jesus in the normal rhythm of our discussions to where things come up, life comes up, fights are happening with siblings, and you're able to bring Jesus into conversation? That is not a formal thing where you decide to sit down and let's have a formal discussion, open God's word. That's just like, hey, everyday life, Jesus is a part of everyday life. Don't just think that you have to have the formal. Make sure the informal is there. And if the informal does not exist, then maybe you just need to ask, how important is Jesus to me? Does he really matter? Proclaim Christ with your words. Here's the next thing. Proclaim Christ with your deeds. Proclaim Christ with your deeds. We've already kind of talked about that a little bit, but the way we live our lives, our deeds, our actions declare a message, don't they? They, they say what matters most, what's most important. So what is your life saturated with? Do your deeds line up with your words? Don't just speak the truth. Live the truth. Show that what you believe is actually true in your life. We've all heard it said that what? Actions speak louder than words. And what does an unbelieving world find unbelievable? Christians who proclaim a message and live completely different lives. Our kids are no different. And they're smart, aren't they? Do your deeds reflect a life that loves and fears the Lord? Do your deeds line up with your words? Proclaim Christ with your deeds. Here's another one. This is a hard one, a challenging one. Proclaim Christ in the way you discipline. Proclaim Christ in the way you discipline. So in Colossians 3.20, where if we were still there, we'd be reading the verse that talks about fathers in particular, but parents, that's for everybody, not to provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. What does it mean to provoke? Now provoking is this, is, it's overly severe exercise of discipline. So it's being overly severe when you discipline, when you go to they, they mess up, they make a mistake, and you fly off the handle and give some ridiculous, you're grounded for the rest of your life. You ever, you ever say that? <laughs> Which is just unreasonable. Uh, we choose, I, I look at Proverbs that says you, you spare the rod, you spoil the child. So we use spanking. Might get, go to jail for that, I don't know. But 
That's just what we do. Like we use a form of pain to realize, hey, what you're doing is, it's, it's going to be worse than what this is. This spanking is not as bad as what your life will be like if you continually disobey me. Now, here's the thing. I know people are abusing their kids this way. We have to be very careful. And I actually know people, I, I don't know how this would work, but they, were ra- they uh, raised their kids in a different country. And if you spanked your kids, you could go to prison. And so they didn't spank their kids, but they disciplined their kids nonetheless. So if you disagree with spanking, you need to have some form of consequence for our sin. Here's the thing. Like, we serve a God who disciplines us. Does he not? Listen to what Hebrews 12, 6 and 7 says. You put that up. I don't, it's not working right. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If God isn't disciplining us, then are we his sons? If he's not bringing conviction, if he's not bringing consequences to our sin, we should be wondering, what God am I serving? Now, this doesn't mean, this is not going back to whack-a-mole. This is just like he brings heavy conviction, right? His loving kindness brings us to repentance, but it's not fun. It's not fun when he brings a brother to you or a sister and says, this is not right the way you are responding. This is not right the way you are treating your spouse. Like God disciplines those he loves. If we love our children, we will discipline them. Here's the Here's what we need to understand, though. What's our motivation behind discipline? Are we, are we disciplining to punish? Or are we disciplining in order that their hearts may be turned back to us? Because what discipline means is that their hearts have been turned away from us. And we want to bring their hearts back to us. That's why God disciplines us. If he made us comfortable in our sin, is that really good for us? If he allows life to go happy-dory like this is great... Is that really a healthy thing for us? So it's actually his grace when he disciplines us because we realize we went against his ways and he is calling us back to him. But far too often we punish rather than speak to their hearts. So we should be careful that we don't discipline in anger. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail here. But we need to make sure that when we discipline, we're ready to help our kids understand. Now, there's different levels, right? My 14-year-old, I don't spank anymore. But we have different conversations. We have deeper conversations. We get really to the heart of what's going on. What was in your heart that led you to do that? Now, my 5-year-olds, like, they're not ready to have those deep heart conversations. But they can still understand what does God's word say. So we go through Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and, father and mother that it go well for you. Are things going well for you right now? I literally ask that when we're disciplining. No, they're not going well. And then I'm like, whose choice was it? Who chose to disobey? I didn't make you disobey. You chose to. And then when, after you discipline them, things have to be done for you. You have to forgive them. And far too often, we find ourselves in this irritation. Like we're irritated for hours. We say we're done. This discipline is supposed to be, hey, it's done. I love you. 
So when you discipline, you need to be done with the action. Now, if there's consequences, fine, but you can't treat them any differently. You can't treat them as if they keep committing that sin over and over and over again. And so when we're parenting well, we hug them. We love you. Mommy and daddy, we forgive you. We're not going to hold this against you. But let's make better decisions. Like we want things to go well. What are we teaching? We're teaching them a loving authority. God doesn't whack us. And, but if we're just punishing our kids because we're irritated, because I'm trying to have a cup of coffee, I'm trying to have a peace and quiet, and I'm punishing them because they're irritating me, and I'm still irritated after because I have to punish them, I'm not going after their heart, and I'm not displaying a loving father to them, a loving heavenly father. Proclaim Christ in the way you discipline. Here's another one. Proclaim Christ in your marriage. Proclaim Christ in your marriage. If you are married with kids, they are watching you. And I guarantee the greatest gift you can give your kids is a loving marriage. Nothing more heartbreaking than marriages that fall apart and parents that turn their kids against the other parent. Be careful of your arguments in front of your kids. Work things out with them. I'm not saying hide. Don't like hide everything because they need to kind of understand like this is, this is what happens in marriage. There's conflict, but we work it out. But do your, are your kids 100% convinced that you love one another? You know, that's the greatest gift my parents gave me. Out of every ball game they ever went to, all the presents they purchased for me, the greatest gift my parents gave me was the way they loved one another. And I don't know why this moment sticks out in my head. I was a young kid. My mom was late from something coming home, and I could see the worry in my dad's eyes. And as a young kid, I thought, I feel so safe. And one reason why people have a problem with the Heavenly Father is because they had parents who didn't live the life that Christ called us to live. And let me just say this again. I think we said this in marriage. Your wife, your husband should be your best friend. They should be the person that you love the most. Isaac and Reese, let me ask you this. Who do I love the most? Mom. Do I love mom more than you guys? Yes, I do. <laughs> Trick question. I just let them know. I let them know, guys, look, if we're in a burning building and I can only save mom or you. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. I was kidding. <laughs> you guys are all lost now. You're like, everything you just said is out the door. But I communicate. I try to communicate very clearly that my wife means more to me than anything. Here's why. One day the kids are going to be gone. In far too many marriages, the kids have left and the spouses look at each other and say, who are you? Because they've had a child-centered family. You must have a spouse-centered family. Do you realize that? Yes, Christ over all, for sure. But as far as human relationships go, the most important relationship in a family unit is the relationship between the husband and the wife. And those families who were child-centered and the kids leave, often those families, they, those marriages end in divorce. After 25 years, they're married and all of a sudden 
They're like, I don't know who you are, I'm out. Proclaim Christ in the way that you love your spouse. Here's the last thing, and really, this kind of sums it all up. This, this is kind of the big picture of everything. When it comes to proclaiming the Lord, what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. When you are living out the words that you say, your words are glorifying to Christ, your deeds reflect what your words say, you're disciplining in a way that shows that I love you. I don't want you to walk down this dangerous path that you would be heading if you live a life rebelling against authority. If you're able to proclaim Christ in your marriage by showing that you love your spouse the way Christ loved the church, if you're doing all those things well, what you're ultimately doing is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Our kids shouldn't have to earn our affection. They shouldn't have to obey in order for us to love them. They shouldn't have to perform at school in order for us to accept them. They shouldn't have to excel in athletics in order for us to think much of them. They're created in the image of God, and so we need to be careful. How do we discipline? Are we disciplining to punish, or are we disciplining them because we want to see them come back to us? And ultimately, we want to see them come to the Lord. Are you proclaiming the fact that Jesus has received you apart from your good works? Apart from you measuring up? That he doesn't punish you. He disciplines you because he loves you and he wants you to be turned to him. All of this displays the gospel, proclaims the good news of Jesus. And so I didn't get real practical, although I think... There's far more there for us to ponder, and some of the practical things can be worked out as we're living a life that reflects these things. But let me just, let me leave you with this, though. Especially for parents who, your kids are gone, and you're discouraged because you just screwed up. Can I just remind you that you can't change your kids' hearts? Like, ultimately... We realize that only God can save our kids. We can do everything right, and our kids can still choose to walk away from the Lord. Don't carry the burden as if all of this parenting is up to you. You see, really, the point of all of this message is that your heart would be turned to the Lord. And if you are living in right relationship with God, then naturally it will overflow into your parenting. A parenting problem is a heart problem for you. But ultimately, and there's so many other things that can mess up kids, like just physically there are things going on that you can't control. But what you can is to pursue the Lord with everything you have. Don't put all the pressure on you as if your kids are messed up, it's all because of you. They make choices we repent as we're able to. We're going to screw up, right? Everybody's a perfect parent until they have one. <laughs> I remember that before I had kids. And I would just look and be like, my kid is not going to do that. Yep, my kid screams in the store just like every other kid does. <laughs> but do we go back and seek forgiveness when we mess up? That's proclaiming the gospel too, right? There's forgiveness. Listen, the one not when this week... Uh, Nikki was gone, and I had the kids to myself, and um, things weren't going so great at home. 
kids were fighting. One of the young kids was picking on the older kids. You know how that goes. And the older kid kind of kicked the younger kid into the table. His head hit the table. Not real hard. But you know what kids do, right? You know what brothers and sisters do? Like it's a, it, you blow on them and, ah! And so that happens. And I'm still trying to get the older kid to have compassion on their younger kid that they just hurt. And he's making it making excuses, and, and then I just scream, shut up. Great parenting, right? And so at this point, not only is the kid who I'm going after is crying, but all the other kids are crying too. Like everybody's screaming. I got one kid that's running, screaming up to the, and so I realize, oh, I have screwed up here majorly. So I, gotta, I go to the room, and one kid, and, and this is not the one who, who I was yelling at, says, you're not supposed to tell your kids to shut up. And I'm like, if you're right, I messed up. Will you forgive me? That is not displaying what Christ, a Christ-like attitude. That was very selfish of me, and I should not have done that. So one by one, we go to our kids. We're going to screw up. What matters is do we display the gospel by going in and saying, hey, just like I forgive, I don't say this, I, I just go to them and say, will you forgive me? But as we forgive them, it teaches them, like, we don't hold stuff against one another. And so the next morning, the kid who uh, is going to school, and it's dad's day off, and he's like, this is the one I yelled at, by the way, like, oh, man, like, I have to go to school while it's your day off? I'm like, you want to be around me after last night? So, it, it, like, the more we display the gospel, your kids are going to be okay with you messing up. They don't expect you to be perfect either. But we must be humble and we have the opportunity to preach the gospel in the way we parent. Let's pray. Father, we we who are parents understand that we're a mess. We just understand that we don't always get it right. We fail. But you are a gracious, loving, good father who cares for us compassionately so. You, you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with their parenting. Maybe they're feeling the guilt. I pray that you would remind them there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's a need to go back, even today, to grown children and just, you've never repented of the way that you parented. Lord, would you spur in us, what is the right move for us to humble ourselves, to reflect the gospel, not because we get it right, but because we get it wrong. Jesus comes to us. We didn't have to go to him. He sought us out. Lord, remind us of your grace this morning. Convict us where we need to be, Lord. But just let us be a people. Number one, if we don't have kids, we're praying for parents because we see how hard it is. For those who are parents, Lord, give us grace to push on. Give us wisdom. Lord, we need you. Thank you for your word, though. Give us hearts that run after you with everything we have. Lord, we need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's sing this in response.